two nights after Halloween, the sky was cool and purple. Harry and Ron had left a window part way open in the front room of the notch, where they were relaxing together after work by playing a game of chess. Wind flicked at the fire, making light dance across their abandoned mess of dinner plates and the expressions of their chessmen. You're sure that's the move you want? The tip of Ron's index finger rested on the parapet of a white castle, and he raised one eyebrow at Harry. Don't lower your wand unless you're really sure. But Harry had been playing chess with Ron for many years, and this particular tactic was older than dirt. His day at Azkaban had been horrible in every way, but he couldn't help feeling a familiar sense of comfort as they played. It almost seemed that one of them might pull out a stack of divination homework or start to complain about an incomplete star chart. The memory cheered Harry, a little. You're transparent, he said, and rested his wand hand on the table, signaling that his move was complete. Ron's eyebrows shot up in dismay. Oh, no, he lamented, looking dismally at the board. That one's really going to hurt. He seemed crushed for a moment, then cocked his head and raised his wand. But maybe if I just move this bishop a bit, he said slowly, and gestured with his wand. A white bishop slid within striking distance of Harry's king, mercilessly stabbing a knight on its way, and an arrogant smile crept across Ron's face. Check, he said distinctly, and let out a satisfied sigh. Brilliant bluffer, he added, tapping his head with his wand. Harry blinked at the chessboard, certain that he could not be losing. He had been very clearly in the lead. But... That move wasn't there a second ago. Sure it was, Ron grinned. Don't beat yourself up, Harry. It's just that I'm a genius. Or an idiot savant, Harry muttered, studying the pieces and trying to work out an escape. Ron snorted. Smart enough to keep my love life out of the papers, anyway, he said, but his grin faded when Harry looked up. Joking, Ron said quickly, putting up his hands in apology. Joking. Harry nodded curt forgiveness and looked at the board again. He had no desire to talk about the tabloid that Ron had brought home and reluctantly showed him, Charmed Life, it had read across the cover, bringing you the intimate lives, loves, and leisures of the rich and famous since 1893. Ron kept trying to make light of it, but Harry couldn't laugh. It wasn't funny. Every time his brain so much as touched on the subject, he cringed. He and Ginny, making no secret of themselves. The wizarding photograph moved far too realistically. Harry had gasped at the sight of it and had banished it out of Ron's hand and into his own room, feeling himself plunged back in time. Whoever had taken that picture could have been Rita Skeeter's partner, although what Flummery had written for Charmed Life was worse than those old Witch Weekly articles about Hermione. Far worse. Those had been lies. They had been embarrassing, of course, but Harry had known all along that there was no substance to any of the accusations, and that fact had made them bearable but Jenny was real. Real things didn't deserve to get splayed across tabloids. Harry couldn't believe that the wizarding world demanded access to his private life simply because he was famous. He couldn't believe they even wanted his intimate information. He had never quite grown into the idea of being a celebrity, and it still shocked him that anyone cared what he did all day long. But they did. They cared about all of it. That article had detailed what he had eaten, what he had been wearing, and obviously whom he had been kissing, as if he weren't a person at all, but some sort of entertaining push-button display. His only consolation was that he hadn't been touching Jinny anywhere indecent. 
His photo image hands had stayed firmly planted on her waist, or at least he thought they had. But even that didn't give him much comfort. Every time Harry imagined Mr. and Mrs. Weasley looking at that picture, he felt a little bit sicker. Worst of all, he couldn't even go and talk to Ginny about it. He had tried to go to Lupin Lodge, but Remus had caught him at the door and turned him kindly, but firmly, away, with the promise of news later on in the evening. Harry didn't want to wait. He wanted to see Ginny's face and hear her voice and know what she thought of everything. He knew that he could stick his head in the fire, but he didn't want to do it with Ron watching. It was the first time in his life that he wished for five minutes at the Dursley's house with access to the telephone. Avoiding his thoughts as best he could, Harry pointed his wand at his king and concentrated. Hello, we've got an owl. Ron sprang to his feet and went to the window. Pig tumbled through it like a tiny feathered cannonball and Ron caught him in both hands. Stupid git, he said. Haven't worked out how to fly properly after all this time? It's for you, Harry. Harry looked up from the chessboard to see Ron untying a pretty-looking white bit of parchment from Pig's leg. Me? he said stupidly. Yeah, no return address, but it's Ginny's handwriting. Ron looked up at him. Writing letters now, are you? Reddening, Harry held his hand out. Here. But Ron didn't seem inclined to give it over. He turned the letter over in his hands a few times, smirking just a little bit. It's not very long, he mused. That could be either very bad or very good. Hand it over. Why? Going to run to your room and read it? Ron asked, and Harry shifted uncomfortably. He had never been teased about anything like this before, and he wasn't quite sure how to deflect Ron's remarks. No, he said, flustered. Here you are, then. As formally as if he were a butler, Ron handed the letter to Harry and took his seat once more. He hunched over the chessboard with his elbows on his knees and his hands dangling forward, making the space between them very small. Harry bowed his head in order to let Ron see as little of his face as possible. His glasses slipped down his nose, but he pushed them up as well as he could and slid his finger under the envelope's closure, snapping the wax seal. He wasn't sure if he imagined it, but he thought he caught a whiff of the sweet, pine sort of scent that Ginny always seemed to have around her. Was she putting perfume on her stuff? Did everything she had just smell like that? Interesting envelope, Ron asked innocently. Go and make tea, would you? Harry snapped. Be useful or something. In a minute. But Ron obviously had no intention of going anywhere. Ignoring him, Harry pulled the white paper, folded in quarters, out of the envelope, and unfolded it in his fingers, not sure what to expect. He didn't have any letters from Ginny. They had never written to each other. He noticed right away that her handwriting was just like her, pretty and simple, and just a bit rumpled. A smile tugged at half his mouth, and forgetting that Ron watched him, Harry focused on Ginny's words. Dear Harry, After you left the Halloween party, I had a thought. Remus would be so proud. Tell me what you think of this. If my abilities are really a sort of obstacle to us being in the same room together, why not send letters instead, until I can learn how to control myself a bit better? Right. I'm sorry to tell you that you missed an excellent Quidditch match. First, Ron released the snitch, also known as a letter from Hermione, which had fallen from his pocket, and I caught it. Then George, displaying excellent beating abilities, kept Ron away while I read the letter in a very loud voice. 
I won't frighten you with the details, because Hermione is your good friend. At any rate, I promise that I will never start a letter with, I get into bed at night. We gave the letter back, but it serves Ron right for being such a prat. I put up with him because he's my brother. I'm not sure why you do. I reckon he's annoying you even now, and if he is, then you have my permission to, as his relative to smack him around a bit. I am doing homework as usual, and I have to go. I don't want to turn it in late. I'm in enough trouble with Professor Lupin as it is. But I'd like to hear more about your day with the dragons, if you feel like sending Hedwig my way this evening. Was Norbert all right? Are you? If you send a note tonight, I will read it when I get into bed. I never said I wouldn't end a letter that way. Love, Jenny. P.S. About that article. I never wanted to be in the news. But now that I am, you'll have to teach me how to sign autographs properly. Just teasing. I hope you aren't being bothered about it over there. No one over here has dared to bother me. Good night. Harry got to the end of the page and started the letter over at once, his heart beating fast. He couldn't believe how nice it was to have a note like this in his hands. It was the perfect solution for now. Nowhere near as good as touching her, but there was something permanent about the letter that Harry liked. He could keep this. He could take it with him to Azkaban and read it until he knew it. He finished reading it again and started over for the third time. Good letter, Ron asked pointedly. Harry jumped, hastily folded the paper, and blushed. No, that is, yes, it, it's nothing. I'll just bet it's nothing. Ron got up, not meeting Harry's eyes. He looked as if he wasn't quite comfortable with any further teasing. I'll fix that tea now, he said, and left the room. Harry slumped in relief, and opened the letter again the second Ron was safely in the kitchen. Jenny's writing. Jenny's paper. The most he was going to have of Jenny for a while. He suddenly felt terrible for Ron and Hermione, and wondered why he'd never thought, before, about how hard it must have been for them since September, just writing letters back and forth. Jenny was just up the road, and that was bad enough. He wasn't sure he could handle her being halfway around the world, even if they might as well have been that far apart. He read the letter again, and found himself composing an answer in his head as he went along, though he wasn't sure he'd ever get himself to write it down on paper. He wondered if he ought to answer. Would she expect him to? Would she even want him to? Harry wondered if what he wanted to say would come across in a letter, and he realized that he had no idea what he should really say. He thought, for a moment, of asking Ron for help, but knowing he'd be met by a wide, freckled smirk stopped him from proceeding toward the kitchen. There was one person he could ask for advice. Harry found himself getting up and heading quickly to his room. He shut himself in, lit the room, and went to his desk, where he removed a quill and parchment and sat down, then leapt up again with a muffled yell. The copy of Charmed Life, which he had banished earlier, now stared up at him from his desk. He and Jenny were kissing. It was only a photograph, but as he stared down at it, Harry felt terrific pressure in his blood. He watched, against his will, as his mouth touched Jenny's again and again, and he found that he could not look away. He hadn't given himself a chance to really study the picture before. It was strange and fascinating to watch himself kissing, being kissed, not entirely unpleasant. He might have settled in his chair to study it for a while longer, but to his horror his photo hand began to grope 
up Jenny's waist, along the side of her torso, and around to the front of her dress robes. Harry blanched. He knew he had done no such thing, and in a sickening flash he remembered that half the wizarding world had the same picture on their dinner tables. The Weasleys would have seen this. With an unnecessarily violent flick of his wand, Harry sent the whole tabloid into the waste bin, where it landed with a metallic thud. He picked up his quill, shaking with anger. Dear Hermione, he scrawled roughly, how are you? Things here are fine. He stopped, remembering what Jenny had said about his feeling fine. It was true that he wasn't fine at all at the moment, but then he wasn't about to tell Hermione that he felt like tracking down the editors of Charmed Life and feeding them to the Acromantula. He could practically see her getting alarmed and decided not to elaborate. Halloween was good at Hogwarts, he wrote. Wish you could have been there. Nearly Headless Nick was there, and Dobby asked all about you. Harry stopped, gathered his nerve, and kept writing. Jenny wrote me a letter. Perhaps you can tell me what to say back to her. Hope things are good with the thinker. Write back. Harry. He rolled up the parchment, tied it tightly shut, and stood up to give it to Hedwig, who seemed to sense her necessity. She gave her feathers an important ruffle and stared unblinkingly at Harry. Halfway across the room, however, Harry had a panic attack. The letter was ridiculous. He wasn't going to ask Hermione anything. He pivoted, tossed the parchment in the bin, and pointed his wand at it. Obliterate, he said, for good measure, and the contents of the bin went up in a flash of fire, making Hedwig hoot indignantly. He didn't need Hermione's help or Ron's permission. If the whole world could watch him kiss Jinny in the papers, then he could damn well write her a tiny little note. The only question was what to say. Harry returned to his desk, thumped into his seat, and sat hunched over a new piece of parchment with his fingers in his hair, scratching his head and making his hair stick up even more than usual. Dear Jinny, he finally wrote, when he'd pulled himself together enough to pick up his quill, thanks for the letter. I'm sorry about the picture. I came over earlier to see you, but Remus stopped me from coming up. He read over that bit several times and was finally satisfied with it, though he was baffled about what to write next. Everything he wanted to say sounded so stupid in his head that he knew he'd never get it right on paper. Frustrated, he pulled Jenny's letter open again and smoothed it out on the desk next to his nearly empty page. Perhaps he could take his cues from her. I'm glad we talked the other night, he wrote slowly. I miss you. Harry clenched his fingers a little. He couldn't leave that. That sentence had to go. He put down the quill and fumbled for his wand to do an erasing charm, but before he got his hand to it there was a rap at the door. I'll have tea in a minute, he called hastily, not wanting to explain to Ron that he was riding back to Jinny. Just putting something away. There's no rush, someone called back. But it wasn't Ron. Harry looked over his shoulder and stared at his bedroom door. That had been Sirius's voice. Sirius was out there, in the hallway. Harry couldn't remember if Sirius had ever been over to the notch before, and though part of him was immediately irritated that Sirius had taken his time about it, another part of him was instantly glad to hear his godfather's voice. He wasn't sure which side of himself to agree with. "'I'll just bother Ron until you have a minute,' Sirius said. "'All right?' Harry sat still, wishing he didn't have to say anything back, but now that he'd already answered, he couldn't pretend to be asleep. Unable to think of another good excuse not to come out, 
he was finally forced to reply. Fine, he said shortly. He waited until he heard Sirius step away from the door and walk back out to the front room of the house, then turned determinedly back to his letter. He had to reply to Ginny before doing anything else. You must be all right if you ended up playing Seeker. Too bad you couldn't keep what you caught, he wrote right beside, I miss you. He supposed that part could stay. It wasn't so bad. It was true, anyway. He tapped the quill on his desk and racked his brains for something else. Again, he scanned Jinny's letter for help. As for dragons, Norbert did all right when I was out at Azkaban, he put, after a minute. He was sick the other day, but he's been fine since then. It was probably just the rain. Sirius just dropped by, so I need to go. But I'm glad you wrote. Write back soon. Love, Harry. He stared at his signature for a long time, not certain if he ought to be so obvious. Ginny had written love before her name, but then some people always did, and perhaps she was one of them. Hermione had signed her letters love from for seven years, and Harry had never thought twice about that. Now, however, the word glared up at him in his own handwriting, and he felt quite naked. He wondered if Ginny would know what he meant. He wondered if he'd written too much. A burst of raucous laughter from the kitchen interrupted Harry's train of thought. He tried to concentrate further, but couldn't. He folded his letter and tightly sealed it, and before he could second-guess himself, Hedwig stood on the edge of his desk, holding out her foot and looking as though she wouldn't take it very well if he cheated her out of another opportunity. Harry attached the letter to her leg and fondly stroked her wing, then watched her fly off through the darkness toward Lupin Lodge. When she had disappeared from view, he got up from his desk and went towards the kitchen. Ron and Sirius were in the middle of a whispered conversation now, and Harry strained to hear what he could. No idea? Ron asked. Mick O'Malley seems to think that the rain was responsible, that Norbert was sick and his energy was low. And that's why the Dementors got so close? In theory. Ron gave a low, angry laugh. I don't believe it. Why not? Sirius sounded intrigued. Harry was, too. He stopped outside the door of the kitchen and listened. It was Malfoy, Ron said quietly. I know it. But it wasn't, Sirius said. I told you what I saw. Malfoy brought his dragon in to drive the Dementors back. It surprised the hell out of me, but it's the truth. It was him, Ron insisted. He's up there working, isn't he? And why? Everyone knows he doesn't have to. My dad told me the Malfoy fortune was heavily fined over the summer, but it's still a fortune. And Malfoy's never done a lick of work in his life before this. He could have been playing Quidditch. So could Harry, Sirius pointed out. But Malfoy's not up there riding dragons for the same reasons Harry is. Harry took the job because he feels responsible. Malfoy's just up there to cause problems, the way he's been causing problems ever since we've known him. Don't you wonder why he dropped the charges against me? I do. I wonder if he's concentrating his efforts on Harry, trying to do as much damage as he can. Best he'd have gotten out of a trial is a couple years of months in jail for me, or maybe a fine. But up there at Azkaban, he could, he could push Harry off for, well, I don't know. I don't know what he's up to. I just know he's up to it. Ron stopped his rant, breathing heavily. It's not that I haven't suspected him, Sirius said after a pause. Everyone's got an eye on him, your brother included. But, but Ron, he hasn't done anything except help. 
It's true, Harry said suddenly, stepping into the doorway. The kitchen of the Notch was functional, but quite tiny. Ron and Sirius filled it to capacity, and Harry was forced to stand just outside the door. Ron leaned against the stove and looked warily at him. How long were you listening? Harry shrugged and looked at Sirius, who stood against the wall between the waste bin and the counter, the top of his head touching the bottom of the clock. Harry, Sirius grinned. Done writing? Harry nodded, but offered no further information, and after a while, Sirius's grin looked rather awkward, stretching hopefully into the silence. Did you need something? Harry finally asked. He knew it was abrupt, even rude, but he stood with his arms folded and waited for Sirius to answer. Sirius did answer, eventually, stepping away from the wall and gesturing to the door. No, not really. Just stopped by. Thought we might have a walk. It's a nice night, if you're not too busy. Now it was Harry who felt awkward. He could feel Ron's eyes on him. He thought about saying no to Sirius. He could say that he was tired or not feeling up to it. He could say that he and Ron hadn't finished their chess match. Those things were all true. But for some reason, he couldn't bring himself to say them. Okay, he agreed, and backed out of the doorway. Ignoring the look of happy surprise on Sirius's face, he went to the hook by the door and grabbed his cloak. Mind if we go now? It's late. That's fine. Sirius followed him out into the road and shut the door. The sudden quiet was overwhelming, and Harry didn't know what to say. He walked along, slightly faster than usual, and waited for Sirius to start. It had grown quite dark. Owls hooted from several of the small cottages that lined the street, and Harry could see candlelight in many of the windows. On the roof of one house, a woman in a fuchsia cloak sat with one leg hooked around the chimney, peering through a handheld telescope. She waved down at them, and Harry and Sirius waved back. There are muggles around here, Harry said very quietly. I wonder what they think of her. I'm sure they find her very eccentric, Sirius replied. That's what we're generally called when we act like that in public. Eccentric. They walked along in silence for a while and Harry listened to his shoes crunch against the tiny rocks that fell across the cobblestones. It was a very clear night, and Harry had studied the stars for so long that he found himself doing it as they walked, naming the constellations in his head and smiling a little when he remembered how Professor Trelawney had turned nearly every one of them into a death omen. "'You seem to be all right about the tabloids,' Sirius said suddenly. His voice was loud and unexpected in the silence, and Harry jumped. "'Tab?' Oh, right. He kept his eyes on the stars. Well, it's nothing new. You want to talk about it? Not really. Sirius nodded. Jenny's handling it well, too. That got Harry's attention. He looked sideways at Sirius before returning his eyes to the sky. What'd she say? he asked casually. Sirius laughed. Well, she didn't say anything when I first handed it to her. I thought she might burst into tears. Then she burnt the whole paper to a crisp and announced if anyone had anything to say about it, she'd do the same to them. Harry grinned and forgot himself, picturing it in his head. She's great, he sighed. Yeah, she is. Harry flushed, realizing that he had spoken aloud. He cleared his throat. So, uh, you and Ron were talking about Norbert, he said quickly. He was fine today, in case you were wondering. He was just sick from the rain before. Good. 
Sirius pointed down a small path that led away from the main road and toward the woods, and he and Harry ventured down it. Of course, Ron seems convinced that Draco Malfoy had something to do with it. Ron's always blamed Malfoy for everything, Harry interrupted. Not that he doesn't have reasons, but, you know. I know. I was like that about Snape. Right after we got out of school, when the Dark Army was first rising, everything that happened, no matter how cataclysmic, I was convinced it could be traced back to Snape. Your dad used to humor me, though Remus never did. Harry kicked a stone out of the way as they approached the forested area, and came to the path that wound along the outside of the woods behind all of their houses. They hadn't walked far. From here, Harry could see the jack-o'-lanterns that he and Ron had scattered around the backyard of the notch, glowing like tiny pinpricks in the darkness. He hoped that Sirius would keep talking about his father. Harry felt strangely as if all the tension between himself and his godfather had disappeared into the darkness, leaving them room to talk. Speaking of Remus, Sirius looked both ways along the path. Which way? he asked. Home, said Harry. Have to get up early. Sirius nodded, and they began to walk up the gently sloping path along the woods, towards the jack-o'-lantern lights. What about Remus? Harry asked after a moment. Oh, Sirius smiled, but Harry got the feeling he was nervous. Well, he suggested... Look, Harry, don't feel like you have to say yes, but I thought he had a point, and it might be... interesting. I wouldn't mind giving it a try, though it has been a while, and I'm sure I'm a bit rusty. Harry glanced at him. What? Sirius took a deep breath. After we left Hogwarts, he said, your mum and dad spent a lot of time together, being in love and all that. And the five of us, that's including Peter, spent a lot of time together, either working on the war effort or trying to forget about it. But there wasn't much time for Black and Potter, if you know what I mean. Harry did. He had lately felt the same way about his friendship with Ron, for even though they lived in the same house, they spent little time together. And, he said, Well, every few weekends or so, James and I would simply disappear. Sirius smiled again, and this time the effect was dazzling. He looked younger and desperately mischievous, as if he had already put some terrible plan into action. Where would you go? Harry asked. He slowed his footsteps, wanting to hear the whole story before they made it home. Sirius shook his head. That was always a secret from everyone, even Remus and your mother. We'd get back and pretend we had never been gone. If anyone interrogated us, we'd simply say that something had come up. Is it still a secret? Harry asked, hoping that it wasn't. Sirius looked at him. Well, from Remus it is. And it would have to be a secret from Ron and Hermione. And Ginny, too. Harry considered these conditions then nodded. Fine. Where to begin? Sirius rubbed his hands together. First of all, we never went to the same place twice. There was the time we entered Padfoot in a dog show. A muggle dog show? Harry interrupted, shocked. Right. Sirius cackled. We won, too. You should have seen the looks on the judges' faces when I did an Irish jig and knew advanced mathematics. But that's illegal, Harry began. Sirius ignored him. Another time, we went to one of those enormous old country houses, the kind they claim are haunted, then charge a fortune to tour. We took the invisibility cloak and haunted it properly for the first time in its existence. 
The people on the tour got their money's worth, I'll tell you that. Hermione'd turn you in, Harry muttered, but he was smiling. We didn't always wreak havoc, though, Sirius continued, looking as though he'd been sent back in time. Harry watched his face as they kept walking, and his eyes seemed to see something in front of him that wasn't there. We were out to have a good time together, just the two of us. We knew how to have fun better than anyone on the planet, I'm telling you. Have you ever heard of Disney World? Sure, said Harry. The one in America? That's the one. Great place. So's the Bermuda Triangle. Same thing for Mount Everest. I should tell you how we got a whole hiking party to think they'd found a Yeti. We, but no, the best was running from the bulls. Harry stopped walking. You and my dad did all that, he said flatly. Sure. Sirius stopped too. We had money and magic, and things weren't too bad in the world yet. He sighed. When we joined the Order of the Phoenix and began to fight against the Death Eaters in earnest, our lives were no longer our own. You know what that's like. Harry gave a half shrug and nodded. We knew it was coming. Everyone did. It was the same for us as it was for you. James and I wanted to do everything we could possibly do together before we lost all our time. Black and Potter. Sirius ran a hand through his hair and gave Harry an apologetic look. You might not want to hear about him. I don't know how you feel about it. It's all right, Harry said slowly. I want to hear. But why did you say that Remus had suggested something? I thought he didn't know. Oh, he doesn't, Sirius snorted. Remus would hand-deliver me to the Ministry of Magic if he knew about half of what I'd done. He just remembers that your dad and I used to go off on our own every so often, and he thought that, perhaps... Sirius went quiet, and Harry felt a little thrill. Perhaps what? he demanded. Well, Sirius shoved his hands into the pockets of his robes and started walking again, so quickly that Harry had to hurry to catch up to him. Well, you'll think it's daft, but I thought perhaps you and I could sort of pick up where James and I left off. That way it could still be Black and Potter, Sirius added in a mutter, sounding almost embarrassed. Harry didn't answer. His mind raced along with his feet as he and Sirius approached the back garden of the Notch. His father and Sirius had used to go adventuring, and now it was his turn if he wanted it. Where did you leave off, exactly? he asked. Sirius glanced at him. It was James' turn, he said. We took turns planning where to go next and what to do. Running from the bulls, that was my idea. But that's the last thing we did before. And we'd always planned to start it up again after, but there was never a chance. He looked away. Don't feel you have to, Harry, he said. It was just an idea. Then it's my turn, Harry cut in. Is that it? I'd have to come up with something? Sirius slowed his pace. Yes, he said faintly. If you wanted to. What sort of thing? Does it have to be illegal? Sirius choked out a laugh. Not technically, he managed, although it helps. It can be anything you'd think we'd enjoy. Anything at all. We've got, well, we've got money and magic and time. We've got all the time in the world. Not with the dragon schedules, Harry muttered. Out of the corner of his eye, he noticed that they were passing the notch, but he kept walking. He wanted to think of something that he and Sirius could do together and he was drawing a complete blank. Sirius made a sound of disgust. 
what we ought to do is go up there and obliterate a couple of dementors. I'd know I'd enjoy that. Me too, said Harry quietly, and Sirius looked narrowly at him. Look, Harry said, before Sirius could start lecturing him to quit his job and leave it to someone else. I want to do this. How soon do I have to think of something? Sirius's face cleared as if a storm had passed safely over it. His eyes lit up and he grinned. As soon as you want, he answered. Take your time, though perhaps a hint from your dad would help. Harry's heart clapped against his ribs. From my dad, he repeated. Sirius nodded and the moon glinted off his dark hair. Whenever we were stuck for ideas, we'd do what he called retaliation operations. James would hate me for telling you this, by the way. Sirius smirked and looked not at all sorry. When you were a baby, I used to warn him that one day, after you'd grown up thinking him perfect, because he always did a remarkable job of appearing to be perfect, I'd expose all his dirty secrets and tell you what he was really like. What was he really like? Harry asked at once, nearly tripping over a fallen branch in his eagerness. This was the information he'd wanted from Sirius ever since they'd met. He was... Sirius cleared his throat and looked around, almost as if Harry's dad were about to appear from the bushes. A miscreant, Harry. Worse than I was, by far. Oh, he was brave, of course, and clever, and fairly conscientious about important things, like remembering your mum's birthday and fighting Voldemort. It was Harry's turn to snort, like those two things are on the same level. Oh, they are, Harry, they are. Remind me to tell you how scary your mother could be if one of us crossed her. Sirius gave a shudder, which was obviously false, but it made Harry laugh anyway. Okay, then what were the, um, retaliation operations? Exactly what they sounded like, Sirius answered and stopped walking. They had reached the bit of forest that lay just beyond the back garden of Lupin Lodge, and they both lingered at the edge of the property. Sirius made no move to go in. Harry was also unwilling to leave, no matter what time he had to get up and go to Azkaban. Did you ever go after Snape, or what? he asked, wondering if Snape had plagued his dad, after Hogwarts, in the way that Draco Malfoy was plaguing him. Never Snape. Sirius narrowed his eyes. Wanted to. Couldn't. Why not? Too dangerous by that time. Snape was very deeply one of them, and the world had become... Well, I hardly have to describe it to you. Harry laughed softly through his nose. No, you don't. So we just went after the pettier criminals, Sirius said, looking misty again, as if he were seeing things that had happened long ago. A slow smile crept across his face, and for a second he looked entirely satisfied. We exacted smaller justices. Like? Like? Sirius put his hand on the back gate and leaned. You know your Aunt Petunia, obviously. Harry felt a thrill of wicked joy. What'd you do to her, he demanded. Sirius gave a happy sigh. Ah, Harry, what didn't we do to her? James had wanted to string her up in the dungeon for years, but Lily'd never let him do it. Protective of her sister, you see. And what did her sister ever do for her? Harry asked darkly. He still couldn't quite think of his mother and his aunt as sisters. Even though he had only had the privilege of his mother's company for one horrible instant, he knew in his bones that she had been good and honest and beautiful in the important ways, not at all like Aunt Petunia. My mom was too nice. 
precisely what your father and I thought, Sirius nodded his approval. But there was no budging your mum. James, don't you dare. She hates me enough already, Sirius said in a high voice. And your dad listened to her, until one day. It was just after your mum and dad's wedding. Lily had invited Petunia to the ceremony, of course, and Petunia had declined, harshly. She had written a letter to your mother, which detailed, in no uncertain terms, her reasons for not attending. Sirius made a noise of contempt. She said some of the most cruel. I won't repeat them. Believe me, said Harry with a tiny sigh. I've heard them. Sirius looked piercingly at Harry, and seemed to be arrested by what he saw. It's really intense, you know, he murmured after a while, the way your eyes match hers, and it's not just the color either, it's a look you both get. He continued to stare, and Harry stood unblinking, not sure why his chest was so tight and his eyes stung so badly. What happened after the letter? he asked, carefully controlling his voice. Sirius jumped. Right, sorry. After Lily got the letter, she cried like a baby. It was two days before the wedding, and we all heard her sobbing. She locked her door and told us she'd get over it, and she probably did, but James didn't. And about two weeks after they got back from their honeymoon, your dad came to me and said he'd decided to go against your mum's wishes and pay a little visit to Petunia. Good, said Harry, feeling for the thousandth time that he would have liked his father very much. What happened? Well, what happened is something you'll probably never forgive me for, come to think of it, Sirius said and scratched his head. We slipped a bit of something into that lovely woman's milk bottles one fine morning. Something for her and that overgrown arse she called a, what was it? A proper, normal, hard-working husband with a real job and a personality that wouldn't embarrass the family in public? Does that sound like your uncle? Harry laughed out loud. No, but it sounds like my aunt. Why wouldn't I forgive you for that? Wait. Sirius waggled his eyebrows and continued. That night, your aunt and uncle were anything but normal, proper, hard-working, and publicly acceptable. We know because we followed them. They'd planned a night out at the opera. De Flerdemouse, I think, or something else that sounded pretentious enough to make them happy, but which I'm sure they didn't understand. Harry laughed again and leaned against the gate beside Sirius. <laughs> right. I don't remember because I wasn't watching the opera. The real performance was in the second balcony, center. Sirius snickered. The potion worked right on schedule. Your proper aunt and uncle leaped from their seats in the middle of the performance and started shouting about pink elephants, which they were seeing all around them, of course. Perfectly natural thing to see. Perfectly, Harry agreed, wishing he'd done something like that, rather than just blowing up his Aunt Marge and getting himself into trouble. Did they stop the performance? They did, and better yet, they were carted off by a couple of bobbies. They weren't arrested, Harry began, but Sirius's grin was enough to convince him, and he began to laugh so hard that he nearly choked. I never knew that, he finally gasped. I wish I could have seen that. In a way, you have, Sirius said, and apologetically quirked one side of his mouth. You see, we have every reason to believe that your charming cousin Dudley was conceived that evening. In any case, nine months later he was in the world, and I do apologize for that, Harry. I do. Harry stopped laughing. That evening? he asked slowly. Do you mean in jail? 
Well, either there or in the police car. We were never really sure. We left just after the arrest. I wanted to stay at the time, but later I was dead glad I'd gone with James. That's a sight I may never have recovered from. Harry winced and put the image as far out of his mind as it would go. Thanks for bringing it up, he muttered. What, you're not glad to know the dirty truth? Sirius lightly punched Harry's arm. Admit you knew it, somewhere deep. Dudley's a prison baby. Harry couldn't help it. He sniggered. It does make sense, he conceded. Okay. Retaliation operation. I'll think about it. He paused, and the answer came to him. There's always Malfoy. But to Harry's surprise, Sirius shook his head. Don't. Not just now. Not while you have to work with him. His first instinct was to retort that he could handle anything Malfoy threw at him, but Harry realized very quickly that he agreed with Sirius. He didn't want to make life worse for himself on purpose. He nodded. All right, I'll think of someone else. Sirius seemed surprised that Harry had agreed so easily, but he said nothing. The two of them stood there in the quiet darkness, strangely comfortable with each other now that the ice had been broken, or at least Harry thought it had. Something had changed, somehow. You probably need to be in bed, Sirius said, eventually. Sorry to keep you out so late. No, it's okay. Harry turned to the gate and peered across the garden at Lupin Lodge, trying to see the side of the house. If Ginny's light was on, he told himself, then he would go up to the house and see if he could get her attention. He just wanted to look at her for a minute. Maybe talk a bit. He suddenly felt like talking all night, something he hadn't felt like doing in... Harry frowned. Had he ever felt like this? To his disappointment, her light was off. But he couldn't leave. He had spent several minutes silently deciding how to proceed when Sirius's voice jerked him out of his hesitation. Higher up, Sirius said quietly and pointed to the roof. Good night, Harry. He smiled slightly and looked as though he wanted to say something else, but apparently thought better of it. Harry blinked and his godfather was gone. Seconds later, an enormous black dog had bounded across the garden and up the steps, and then Sirius was there again, letting himself in the back door as if nothing extraordinary had happened. When Sirius was gone, Harry followed his directions and looked up at the housetop. His gaze touched the roof's apex, and his brain froze. His heart got trapped in his throat, and though he had just felt like talking forever, now he couldn't open his mouth. Ginny sat against the chimney, facing the back of the house, one long leg dangling down on either side of the peaked roof. With her left hand, she kept a sheet of parchment pressed to her thigh so that it couldn't blow away. In her right, she had a little telescope, but she wasn't looking at the stars. Hi, Harry, she said, and her voice floated gently down and across the garden to him. Did you have a nice walk? Harry still couldn't speak. She looked so pretty and relaxed and comfortable. He wanted to climb the side of the house and lay his head down where the parchment was and feel her fingers in his hair. It would have been so natural, not at all eccentric. Harry thought of what Sirius had said, about what Muggles thought of people on rooftops. For a bizarre moment, he wondered what Dudley Dursley would think of a girl like Ginny Weasley perched on top of a house. For another, even more bizarre second, Harry pitied his cousin. Dudley would never know anyone like Ginny. He wondered what sort of girlfriend Dudley did have, 
certainly not one with red hair and white hands and eyes that seemed to know what he was going to say before he said it. Certainly not one who'd saved his life. Harry? Jinny sounded concerned. What is it? Harry realized that he was just staring at her and tried to snap himself to attention. I wrote back, he said, but his voice was nothing but a rasp. I wrote back, he tried again, and this time it was loud enough. He walked closer to the side of the house so that he wouldn't have to yell. Jinny smiled down at him. I know, she said, and drummed her fingers against the parchment on her thigh. I came out to study for astronomy, since it's so clear, and Hedwig found me. Harry felt suddenly very flustered. She had read what he had written. It was open on her leg. I'm not, he began and stopped. I never got high marks on my writing, he finished rapidly, not sure why he felt compelled to tell her. So if, that is, I hope it isn't, no, it's really nice, Jinny cut in softly, and Harry fell silent. She watched him for a while, still smiling, then stuffed her things into the pockets of her robes and reached for her broomstick. Sirius told me what you said about charmed life, Harry called up, thinking he might as well get it out in the open between them. He said you threatened them with fire. Jinny laid the broomstick across her lap and laughed. Well, it's bad enough without getting teased, isn't it? She said and rolled her eyes. What a picture they managed to get. Horrid. Oh, not that it was horrid, but you know. I know, Harry assured her. My mum's going to have kittens. Jinny rubbed her head. Can't wait for that owl. Bet it's a howler. I'm surprised it hasn't come already. Harry winced. I'm so sorry. Why? Jinny laughed again. You didn't do it. Reporters. They follow me around, Harry explained feebly. I should have been watching. I mean, I knew they were there, and I'm sorry you have to. Oh, stop. Jinny cocked her head to the side. Harry, if people want to be stupid, let them. It doesn't matter to me, she said, and the moonlight touched her face making her look almost ghostly. It made a strange contrast with the warmth of her voice. Using the chimney for support, she got to her feet on the spine of the roof, holding the broom in one hand. Careful, Harry said, putting his hands out as if to break her fall, but she was on the broom before he had any cause for alarm. She flew to the side of the house and hovered by her window, watching him. Harry walked around and stood below her. I wish I could come down there, she began wistfully, looking as if she might ignore her better judgment and do it. Don't, Harry said firmly. He didn't think he could stand to see her face get ashen again, or to feel her go limp in his arms, even if it meant that he would get to kiss her. Go and write another letter. His face got hot, and he cleared his throat. If you want to, he added faintly. Jinny didn't seem to notice his discomfort. She flew to her window and climbed in, then leaned out and looked down at him for a long, quiet moment. Harry kept his face turned up to hers, feeling quite transfixed. There was no point in talking, after all, he thought, not when a person's face said everything. Good night, she whispered, and quickly blew him a kiss. Harry shut his eyes and tried to feel it, and then her window was closed, and her blinds were shut, and she was out of view.